watching ladies pass me by They are the latest thing I'm not waiting on the lady I'm just waiting on my friend Gutenberg's building a printing press It is the latest thing He's building the holy healing ray containment divide <laughs> Trying to catch himself some coin He's just trying to milk some idiots out of their money Like we do on all our podcasts It's <laughs> nay on the cachet <laughs> This episode he might invent a book <laughs> All the movable type But we'll probably drag it out another couple of episodes <laughs> Will this podcast ever end? Will this podcast ever end? Do this podcast ever No, 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 yeah Hour three You know let me let me paint it. Let me paint a picture for you. As I was singing, I have to turn off the air conditioner in my house to record these episodes because it makes a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. It's really hot today. Mm-hmm. I'm recording with you in my underwear, sweating, and that was even before you mm-hmm. got on. So um, enjoy and that. Same here. Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm in my yeah. underwear, sweating. Right. Two hot, sweaty, <laughs> middle-aged men singing to each other. Singing. It's perfect. This is what the world's come to. Okay. Oh. Episode 67, right. uh, jo- uh, Johannes Gutenberg, Joey G, episode three. In our last episode, mm-hmm. we were talking about how <clears throat> he, he, there was a secret project yes. that his partners found out about. His partners in the Holy Healing, <coughs> Ray, Holy Healing Ray Containment Device Project right. found out, which had been delayed because of the plague, right. Uh, because the, the the holy healing rays weren't strong enough uh, no. yet to to deal with the plague, um, so uh, he had a secret project going on in the Church of Saint Arbogast. They wanted in on it. Uh, he showed them what they what he was doing. They were like, <laughs> "Fuck, that's I'm in. incredible!" I'm in. And uh, take my money. They, <laughs> what did I sign? They. Uh, <laughs> 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 
They said, that's incredible. <coughs> anyway, shit. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So they signed new contracts and they put in millions of dollars each right. into this uh, new venture, whatever it yeah. is. Now, one aspect that will come up later is that because this is a five-year venture and there's tons of money involved, you've got to plan this stuff out and you have to be careful. So in the contract, it says if one of them dies, that their heir will get only back 100 golden uh, Gildan, gold, golden uh, at the end of the five years. So um, we're, we're sorry that you died, but your 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 relative and your heir is not going to get everything because we're the ones working on this. So it's it's not a bad deal, but obviously the goal is for no one to die for the next five years. So the, but the point is they've got some cash, they've got some partners. Everybody's bringing a different skill set to this thing, and it's still all kept quiet because they are keeping their word. Mom's the word, and they're working on this together. And hopefully, whatever the hell's going on. It's going to return huge dividends. It's just going to take a lot of work and some time. Yeah, and as the project went on, more and more people had to get involved. He needed people with special skills. Right. And he didn't want to have to pay them because it was a huge capital investment. So they were sometimes, you know, bringing in funds, contributing money. Sometimes they were, I guess, brought in as partners so they get a share of the upside Mm -hmm. when it was launched. Uh, But one of the guys Gutenberg brought in was a guy called Konrad Sussbach, a carpenter. Right. He needed him to build a heavy press to uh, Gutenberg's specifications and install it at Droitzen's house in town. Um, Now, uh, this is going to be important because uh, not long after this, in 1438, Droitzen fell ill, probably the plague, (laughs) Right. And there's no mirrors. He's about he's about to die. <laughs> Give me one of those mirrors. Oh, sorry, when, the mirrors. You when know, did he they're, die? Not, they're not ready yet. When did he die? 1438. Christmas Day. Supposedly Jesus's birthday. Yeah, I'm just saying it looks bad. That's yeah, all. that's all. Yeah, the, the, the day after Christmas, oh, I think. Sorry. But anyway, yeah. he's about to die, um, and he told his. Friends oh, about his partnership and uh, you know the the debts and the money and all this kind of stuff. A priest right. came to hear his last confession. He told him everything. Then he's dead. Right. Now, uh, when news of Dritzen's death got to Gutenberg, mm-hmm. his first concern wasn't for Dritzen <laughs> or his family or anything. He was like, "The project. Oh my god, we have to keep the project secret." It's in that cunt's house. So sorry, he sent his servant. To Andreas's brother, Klaus Dritzen. Right. And asking him to take apart this press that was had been installed at Dritzen's house. Right. So that thereafter no one could see or understand anything. He said, sounding very much to me like Jesus in the Gospel according to Mark, where he said, I'm going to teach everyone in parables so they don't understand anything. <laughs> Because if they understood what I was talking about, they'd all want to get saved. Right. And we can't and have And his that. disciple said, and that's a bad no. thing. Why? He goes, just fucking don't ask I'm questions, all right? It just is. Yeah. 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 And one of, it just is bad. One we the, don't want them to know shit. Exactly, because you don't want to let everybody in on the secret. Um, one of the other workers, Andrus Heilman, also sent a car, uh, sent the carpet, carpenter uh, Sasbach Spotch to do the same thing. But when they get there... The either the whole thing, not the whole thing, but certain pieces of it that they wanted removed so no one would be able to tell its true purpose were missing. They were gone. 
So what in the hell happened? Who did it? And remember, this might be a house where the plague is at. So how did those things disappear? Did Gutenberg himself rush there, risking the plague? Or, you know, what happened? Or maybe um, Andreas's older brother, George Dritzen, went in there first and stole the pieces. So as far as I know, we don't ever see those pieces again. But the point is, we've already got another mystery, and this could you know, obviously make uh, Gutenberg freak out because, you know, they're getting they're getting pretty far in their in their project. But now the the pieces are missing and no one knows where they're at. Now, the brothers, Andreas Dritzen's brothers, George and Klaus, were furious when they found out how much money their brother had sunk in and what the terms of the contract were. They demanded that Gutenberg pay them Mm. Andreas' share in the venture. Gutenberg refused, put, showed them the contract, yeah, said, uh, sorry, yeah. I mean, get sorry. fucked. They, they, they insisted they get admitted into the partnership. He said, no, I don't know you. Yeah. you. You don't have any skills. What do you bring to the table? Fuck <laughs> you. Deal's a deal. Right. Now, uh, they said, wow, I thought we got rid of all the Jews in town. <laughs> now, whatever the no. reason, uh, he... <laughs> Come kidding. I'm being deliberately <laughs> offensive because that's how people thought back then. Right. Uh, you know, I don't think no, no, like no, that. No, 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 no. Um, yeah. <laughs> people. Riley thinks he's being ironic when he's racist, but he's actually just a racist, really. Uh... Whatever the reason, he he turns them away. He says no. So that is when George Dritzen sued him in court. Now, this time, luckily for Gutenberg, it goes in his favor. Uh, Usually when it it came to legal uh, cases, (laughs) it didn't go so well for him. But this time it goes well for him. The Council of Strasbourg decides in his favor, uh, the contract's a contract. Even more importantly for Gutenberg, the court kept his project a secret. It was only referred to in official documents as the art and enterprise. They didn't actually say what he was doing because Gutenberg was like Steve Jobs here. Had to keep it totally secret. Yeah. So at the end of the five years, because of the... And if you think about it, this is a city that is like pro-merchant, pro-growth, pro-business. So, yeah, they're going to honor a contract. So, th- so that makes sense. So the end of the five years, Andre- Andreas's heirs are going to get the 100 gilden. However, because he was still raising money, he was still um, short some of it. So when the end of the five years comes, these brothers are only going to get 15 gilden as opposed to the 100. So they're screwed in another way, but the court has settled. But the point is, Guten- Gutenberg has still got his two other partners. He's still got his working space, and he's gained whatever knowledge of trial and error that they've gotten so far, and it's still all a secret. So yes, this was a big hiccup in the road, but he still got what he needs, and this guy seems to be, even though there's a lot we don't know about him because a lot of records have been lost, he does seem driven. He does seem to, to have a vision. He knows what he's doing, even though we don't know all the details, and he's still moving forward, and he's going to be in Strasbourg for several more years. Yeah, Now, and I want to point out that we don't know what this project yeah, was. Yeah. Now, the assumption is that he was trying to invent movable type and the printing press, but we don't know because right. he, he never said, and no one ever said. And so we really don't know what he was working on, but uh, whatever it was, it cost a shit ton of money and a lot of trial and error, right. and uh, it was impressive enough that all these guys went, oh, shit, yeah, we, we want in. So yeah. uh, kind of assuming... Right. It sounds like, I mean, maybe it was a brand new kind of uh, holy healing ray containment <laughs> device that could focus the holy healing rays into lasers to fix the right. plague. Or Could have been saber. that. Something. 
just ne- never never got there. Right. Yeah, the holy healing <laughs> lightsaber doesn't cut your arm off. It heals your arm <laughs> when you get it. Cuts it off, then it heals it. Right, does it, it grows right back. Does it, yeah, it's like a party <laughs> trick. You turn the you turn the button one way, cuts it off. Turn the button back the other way, yeah. sticks it back on. It's gonna take some money. <laughs> now uh, he must have sold the pilgrim mirrors in fourteen forty. Finally, the holy healing ray containment devices, because uh, he, 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 he sinks a lot of his own money back into this project, and he was going to make millions out of that. Right. Now on. 1444, Gutenberg pays his wine tax in Strasbourg for the last time. Then he disappears for four years and turns up in mines again in 1448. Now, for that four years, no one knows where he was or what he was doing. Now, figure this. Yeah. He's building this massive secret project that takes millions of dollars in mine, in sorry, in Strasbourg. Right. In the late uh, 1430s. Mm Mm-hmm. Then in fourteen forty four he disappears. Right. What is going on there? Now my theory is yeah. I don't know what you think about this, but my theory is abducted by aliens. <laughs> Anal anally probed. And other stuff, I'm sure. Well, goes without saying, but they <laughs> they gave him the secret that he was they were watching him, going, right. "No, oh, you're, you're getting it all ah, wrong." Yeah, they, mm. yeah, yeah. They got abducted by aliens. They t- gave him that actually the secret makes to sense. the printing press. I mean, listen, I, I I can't back it up, but it just that's it's the most logical conclusion, right? It was at Area Fifty One. They took him to Area Fifty One, ah, and they told him. Uh, yeah. Totally yeah. But seriously, where, what do you think he was doing for that four years? And what did he do with his project in that time? Pack it up, put it in storage. Like, what the fuck? Where was he for those four years? Well, uh, the best that I can do um, is that I think he literally needed to get away from everything and everyone, even if he was just working on this project on paper, as in drafts. Maybe he was doing that because there was even there, we don't have to go into all the details, but there was a lot going on in Strasbourg at the time. There, there would have been a lot of distractions for him because there was these roaming bands of mercenaries who were going around raiding towns nearby because they were recent. They were currently not working or being paid by anybody in the Hundred Years War. So Strasbourg had to gear up for military, a possible military uh, invasion. So there's a lot of things that could have been distracting him. Maybe the court case kind of freaked him out. Uh, he he does disappear. He goes somewhere we don't know where he's at for just over. Four years. I think he's either. I think he's either taking what he's learned so far through trial and error and working somewhere else, or he just stops, but takes that knowledge and works on it, and just kind of works on it on paper where he can get away. Because it's really hard to disappear because you're always paying taxes, you're paying bills, you're doing something, you're registering with some local authority. I think it's semi hard for someone in his socioeconomic level to just disappear, but somehow he does that, and I think he just had to get away from everybody so he could. Focus everything because we haven't talked about marriage. We haven't talked about kids. We haven't talked about girlfriends. I'm not saying he didn't have a wife or a boyfriend or whatever, but the point is he seems obsessed with this. So I think he's just somewhere totally laser focused on this, but we honestly don't know. Well, I've got another theory, slightly uh, more serious. Holland. Holland. What's in Holland Mm. besides waterways? Mm, we'll get there. Okay. But keep that in mind. Holland. Holland. Gotcha. 
Now, his sister Elsa died sometime around 1443. Uh, right. Johnny quite likely inherited the family house, the Hof zum Gutenberg. Um, so when he turns up in Mines in 1448, he moves back into the house. Now, it's a big house. Yes. He doesn't seem to be married, doesn't seem to have kids as far as we know. So he and his assistants can set up shop there. They can set up their workshop. They can live there. They can operate there. And how much he brought with him from Strasbourg, we can only really guess at. Yeah. Historians seem to disagree about how far along he was in creating all of his inventions that culminated in movable type in the printing press at this stage. Um, you know, ever since the the legal documents from 1439 first turned up in 1760, mm-hmm. scholars have argued over what the art and enterprise was that he was working on. Right. Could have been small metal letters that he was using to, to print whole pages at a time, something that no one in Europe had ever done. Mm-hmm. And according to this theory, the metalwork was being carried out in the Church of St. Arbogast right. because you weren't allowed to have furnaces to melt metal inside the city walls of Strasbourg because it was a fire hazard. Wow. The church was built outside of the city walls on Hangman's Hill, which is where the St. Arbogast was buried in the 800s because he thought it would be cool <laughs> Uh, no, bury me on Hangman's Hill, man. Yeah. Badass. What a, what a place to go. Yeah. So they built the church there. It was outside of the city walls. Um, now, metal or wooden frames holding the assembled letters, the type, the types, the letters, the, the type on them, would be brought into town where Andreas Dritzen could test them right. on the printing press that the carpenter had built in his house. Mm. This is one theory anyway. Now, there were four pieces, according to witnesses at the trial, uh, that were part of maybe the mould that he was using to make the letters or the frame that held the letters in place. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to get into what it took to make this. Now, he had to invent everything from scratch. When I first read this, like there's the people say he took 10 years for him to invent movable type in the printing press. I'm like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. How, how could it take so Screw. long? But when you when you think about yeah. it, it's actually a fascinating engineering problem. Right. Uh and 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 it must have taken a lot of trial and error and cost a lot of money. We're going to get into it. This guy's like Thomas Edison right. trying to invent the electric light. Like or Brunelleschi. Famously, you know, according to the mythology. Right. Yeah, well, Brunelleschi kind well, of, he, I don't think there's a lot of trial and error. He knew what he was doing. Right, but, but he had to invent this stuff This guy along the way. had to figure it all out right. from scratch. exactly, yeah. Well, yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy, uh, and he did, like, unlike Edison, he didn't have uh, Tesla. He could just go and steal stuff from. He had to figure it all out. For, well, maybe he did, though. We'll get to that. Maybe he did. Um, now, no, there are no printed books that survive right. that can be dated with any certainty to the years that Gutenberg lived in Strasbourg. So uh. the assumption is that... He didn't actually invent the printing process until he was back at Mines. There are a few fragments of paper and vellum with printed words on them mm-hmm. that were considered so worthless by contemporaries that 
they were used as as padding for wooden book covers uh, 10 or 20 years later. Right. But uh, they do seem to demonstrate that Gutenberg was playing around with something in his Strasbourg years, but maybe he printed these after he left Strasbourg. Scholars really... It's it's hard to date these things with any accuracy because there's no you know dating on them. Gutenberg right. didn't say back when I was in Strasbourg <laughs> I printed the first letter. Yeah, there's no, nothing like that. There's no no witness account saying he did this at this date. Um, but I want to get into to how he would have invented this, where he would have come up with it, if that's okay with you. Okay. Now, stamping individual letters on metal coins or on uh, holy uh, containment devices <laughs> or on leather <laughs> is a good start. He obviously knew a lot about that, but that's a long way from being able to manufacture an entire page, full-length yeah. pages that looked very similar to the, the handwritten, which is what he wanted to do. He wanted to replicate ah. beautiful hand written pages written in sort of gothic script uh he didn't didn't want to make it look something completely different didn't want the shock of the new to kick in right but he didn't invent either printing presses or movable type the chinese had developed both of those things <laughs> centuries before gutenberg <laughs> yeah do you do you have anything on the Chinese uh, printing, right? Well, just that no one should be surprised at this, you know, culture that's more than 3,000 years old, obviously had, had a crack at this stuff, you know, well before uh, Gutenberg or anybody else uh, in Europe. So, yeah, some of the oldest examples of Asian printing, which are brief Buddhist passages, as you can imagine, they go back to the Empress uh, Shotoku of Japan in the 760s. So that's that's pretty incredible. The oldest surviving printed book, which is the Diamond Sutra, again, a compilation of Buddhist teachings, is block printed and glued together. It's, a, it's glued together in a scroll, which is 16 feet or 5 meters long. So they've been having their own crack at this as well. And as far as block printing, you know, that took off in China uh, in the Song Dynasty from 960 to 1279, when the National Academy used that process uh, to put out hundreds of books. And as you can imagine, they put out books about Confucius and uh, commentaries on his words. They did stuff about the histories of China and dictionaries. And the Chinese knew, uh, were smart enough to know, because again, they had been working on this a very long time and a very long time ago. They knew that when they did find carve up and create their wood blocks to put them in well-ventilated warehouses so they could actually stay in good condition and they can be used later. So they've been working on this for quite some time. Um, and so it's not going to be much of a surprise that block printing, like the making of paper, is going to spread the idea of it, the concept of it, or at least rumors of it, is going to spread to Europe from China in the late 14th century. So Europe is going to get their hands on some paper once again, but still, this idea of block printing or anything like that isn't unique to Gutenberg, but like you were saying a second ago, even though the, if you sit and think about it, the process seems straightforward, if you have to create, literally make by hand every little piece going into this idea that you have, that's obviously going to take a very long time and a lot of money. Yeah, and I, I, I drilled down in a little bit more detail uh, on the Chinese stuff because mm -hmm. I found it fascinating. Uh, right. Because, yeah, look, I'm useless, as my wife well knows. Uh, Ian Kath, uh, 
mate of mine here gave us a tour of his workshop uh, recently so Fox could see what he does. He makes stuff. Uh, he's basically a pattern maker. Oh, cool. He works in this big workshop where they do incredible stuff. And um, artists, sculptors will come to them with a, you know, a reference drawing or a scale model of something and say, can you make a massive version of that? And he looks at it and he goes, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And he figures out how <laughs> nice. to make shit with, with, with wood and foam and bronze and plastic and all these sorts of things. Incredible. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, so these things always fascinate me. I'm always in awe of people who can look at something and know uh, how to make right. it. Uh, I'm flat out figuring out how to put batteries in a remote control. Um, but <laughs> you know, you. some some people have skill and talent and know how to do this stuff. Right. On this thing you mentioned before, the earliest uh, example of Asian printing, uh, this going back to the Diamond Sutra from the 760s, Mm-hmm. Um, it has uh, a colophon, a note right. printed at the end that says that uh, Wang Ji had the scroll reverently made for universal distribution on behalf of his two parents. Ooh. So th- there was this idea back then that they wanted to distribute these works more broadly, something right. like the Diamond Sutra, very important to... They had the same idea. Like, we need to get printed works out to the masses. Mm-hmm. Chinese were thinking about this and experimenting with it in the, the 700s. Now, the way that they did it was fascinating. So they would, first of all, smooth out a block of wood the size of a scroll, right. which is pretty long. Then they would spread the surface of the wood with a thin rice paste mm and glue the original uh, hand-drawn document on top of the block of wood. Right. Then they would get some special knives that were curved, and they would cut into the wood, leaving the inked characters and digging away the blank areas of the paper. Uh, So then when they're finished, you've you've got a a printing block, right? right? But it's in reverse. Right because you've, you've laid the paper down face down on it when you did it. So they've got a, a big, you know, block print, wood block that you can use. So then they would uh, dip a brush in ink, run it over the, the characters on the wood, get a clean sheet of paper and put it on top mm-hmm. and then press down on the paper evenly across the ink, then peel the paper off, hang it up to dry, Voila. boom. How many hours you, was that? You could make thousands right. of oh, a shit ton. <laughs> but then once you've made it, what? you could print off thousands of copies mm-hmm. uh, from that single wood, wood block. Okay. Clever, yeah. right? Clever. Chinese were doing this. They're like the Europeans never thought of that. Were as far as we caves? know, Chinese no, doing that in the 700s. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then Deng Xiaoping came along right. and uh, right. introduced Kicked special it economic zones. High gear, right. Just to mer- merge over to our bullshit filter <laughs> series about China. Um, which has been great. We got a lot of great feedback on that. We've had more feedback on that China series oh, than anything. You know, it's been fascinating the amount of discussion. But not, you know, people are arguing, people are debating, but it's been good. You know, it's, it's been good uh, backwards and forwards. Fascinating. Now, one of the earliest 
surviving European woodblock prints, because they did finally figure it out, as you said, it, it came over from China, was a picture of St. Christopher from 1423. Mm. And Gutenberg would have seen these sorts of woodblock prints. Right. There was also playing cards that certain artisans in southern Germany were producing using wood blocks. So the idea of creating books from block-printed pages must have been around. Mm -hmm. People in Europe were familiar with wood block printing. Right. But wood block printing is 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 not a great uh, process. You have to basically carve a wood block for every page of the right. book and print them all one at a time, boom, boom, boom. Uh, you know, it's just going to take forever. Not a very efficient way of, of printing books. You would have to carve a separate page for every book that you wanted to write out. Right. But most scholars apparently think that the, 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 during Gutenberg's era, the amount of trade and travel that was happening between Asia and Europe was too limited for Gutenberg to have picked up much technical knowledge anyway from the Asians. Most of the European travellers who went to China uh, after Marco Polo in the 13th and 14th centuries um, never mentioned printed books when writing mm. about what they'd seen in China because it, it didn't really take off in China either right is the point you know they they were experimenting with it but it wasn't it wasn't a big thing and I'll explain why in a minute even Marco Polo who noticed, noticed printed paper money over there never really described how it was printed wow so it's unlikely the Gutenberg would have learned much about how the Chinese were doing it even though they were doing it he would have seen some wooden prints in uh, in, in Europe, but he, he he wasn't a wood guy. He was a metal right. guy. So he right. probably would have thought about how to do it for metal. But yeah. Yeah. metal, yeah. too expensive to make individual metal plates for every page of every fucking book. <laughs> he needed to come up with a different approach, how to come up with individual letters that you could arrange or rearrange right. to print any page of any book. It's what we call right. movable type because you can move the letters around on the page and, and create any new page. Right. But as it turns out, Chinese had already thought of that as well. Yeah, and, and if I could just mention real quick, because I was watching a lot of YouTube videos about printing press and stuff like that, the wood blocks are not, not bad, and if you get a really good artist, you can really get some nice, high-quality lettering or pictures or whatever, and it might take a while, but if you do keep printing from a particular block, eventually the edges will get worn down and it will get smudged and it's not perfect. So, yeah, wood is only good up to a point. And like you said, bronze and stuff like that is too expensive. You still need to find something that you can use that's tough, that can stand the test of time, and that I like as, um, as well can be malleable. You can work with it. Um, it's, it's, so the question is, what metal do I use? It can't be wood, and it's something that can't cost too much. So there's a lot of variables that have to be figured out. This is probably why it took Gutenberg so many years. Wood is only good up to a point. There's a new clip I'm going to throw in my soundboard. <laughs> yeah, so the Chinese had already come up with the idea of movable type as well. So when we hear that Gutenberg invented movable type, not actually true. Right. He invented 
the movable type that ended up you know being used in in printing the printing process in Europe but he didn't invent movable type the first movable type was invented by a guy called Pi Shang in the mid 11th century wow. in China mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the four great inventions that the Chinese came up with do you know what the four great inventions are Ray? Um, condoms. No, um, the things where you put your fingers together and they get stuck. No, that doesn't sound right. Gunpowder, paper. I don't know. I have no idea. What is it? What are they? Uh, good, because good, good guess. Yes, gunpowder, paper, paper uh, printing, printing, yeah, and the compass. The comp- oh, I should have known that one. Okay, good for them. The four great inventions of ancient China. Right. So the way the Chinese did movable type is uh, like this. He, uh, somebody recorded this late in the 11th century. It says, He took sticky clay and cut it in characters as thin as the edge of a coin. Wow. Each character formed, as it were, a single type. He baked them in the fire to make them hard. Mm-hmm. He had previously prepared an iron plate and he had covered his plate with a mixture of pine resin, wax and paper ashes. When he wished to print, he took an iron frame and set it to the iron plate. In this, he placed the types set close together. When the frame was full, the hole made one solid block of type. He then placed it near the fire to warm it. When the paste at the back was slightly melted, he took a smooth board and pressed it over the surface so that the block of type became as even as a whetstone. Wow. So ceramic, ceramic type, basically. Um, And it worked, but... It was considered a bit of a novelty, really. Uh, never really took off. Didn't replace block printing. Mm-hmm. Nor, by the way, did movable type made of tin, which the Chinese also wow. experimented with. Right. Uh, they they tried metal. Didn't hold the ink well and sort of deteriorated too quickly, too soft. Yeah. They also tried uh, in the early 14th century with movable type carved from wood to print some official records. Mm-hmm. Now, its inventor, I drilled down on a bit, its inventor was a guy called Wang Zhen. Right. He uh, lived from 1290 to 1333. Mm-hmm. A bit of a fucking freak, this guy. <laughs> he was a mechanical engineer, uh, an agronomist, an inventor, an author, and a politician. Damn. He... He used movable type to print a massive book called Nongshu, or the Book of Agriculture. Right. It also covered all sorts of Chinese sciences and technologies, agricultural practices of the day. It was like uh, the Farmer's Almanac uh, in China, (laughs) basically explaining everything you needed to know to be a good... Chinese uh, agronomist, I guess, in the early 14th century. Talked about everything from water-powered bellows that the Chinese had invented centuries later, where you uh, used a water wheel to work like inflatable bellows to keep a blast furnace going so you could make cast iron. They invented that, you know, in the 700s or something. It also explained movable type printing. This this book, the Nongshu, considered a, a masterpiece 
on contemporary medieval Chinese technology. Uh, but it was incredibly long, even for its own time. It contained over 110,000 written Chinese characters. What? Jesus. And he even he figured out a brilliant way to keep track of the different characters that he needed. Right. See, this is this is the thing. Obviously, uh, the way that ch- Chinese and, and Asian characters in general work, each character is a syllable. Right. Uh, so you need a character for every syllable, and they have lots of different ways of pronouncing syllables. So he needed thousands and oh tens of thousands God. of syllables. Right. And the way that he would do this is he had two big, like, like round tables. Imagine like a lazy Susan mm-hmm. that could spin around. Uh, each was about seven feet or two meters in diameter. Right. Divided into sections, like compartments. Right. And then the characters were arranged according to rhyme. Oh, God. Wow. This guy was brilliant. So, yeah. So when you were looking for a character, you would spin the wheel (laughs) based on rhyme, find the wooden block that you needed, and uh, then, you know, put it into the frame and, and print it. Now, we, we don't really know how widely this spread because uh, the, the, the printing from this was very hard to tell from printing from a wood block, oh, which was still being used right. in different parts of China at the time. Um, but it didn't, you know, basically it didn't take off. Very yeah. we, we know, you know, it didn't really catch on that much. But... This guy, you know, it just makes me realise reading about Wang Xing, like we're talking about all these European geniuses. Right. You know, at some point we need to we need to talk about the Chinese geniuses and the Indian geniuses because there was these guys that, you know, uh, I've never heard of before. Right. Yeah. Yeah, doing shit. We've all heard of Gutenberg. How many people have heard of Wang Zhen? Yeah. Uh, genius. This guy right. thinking about this stuff, but it yeah. didn't. It didn't catch on, and the reason it didn't catch on, and mm-hmm. there were there were people experimenting. Sorry, before I do that, people experimenting also in Japan, in Korea, with movable type at the same time. Koreans had movable type at the same time. Uh, uh, the, the the Korean king, King Daejong, was so excited about it, he established a foundry wow. to make bronze type for printing books. Yeah. He said, there will be no book left unprinted and no man who does not learn. Literature and religion will make daily progress and the cause of morality must gain enormously. Damn. That, I, just real quick on a side note, I love the idea that's obviously been around for thousands of years is that the more intelligent, the more read, the more open to ideas that humans become, that we naturally assume that they'll become more decent people. It's like, if I can educate everybody, if you could learn Confucianism or whatever, that they automatically assume it's going to make you a better person, maybe less of a criminal or whatever. And so, yeah, this king gets the behind this idea of literally printing enough books, every book that ever exists, so we can get out there and get it to the people and it will improve our society. I, I love that idea. I don't know how accurate that is, but I've always been impressed with knowledge brings, brings about better people. Well, you've got a nerd university education. Are you a better person? Uh, no, but I started so low, it's not really a fair question as far as my morality goes. So, Yeah, and, and your height. 
Uh, <laughs> boom. Anyway, no. Speaking of right. low. Yeah, go ahead. Be low. Yeah. The, uh, the Korean people were so excited about uh, King Daejong's project is when he ran low on bronze, they started donating bronze vases and bells oh, and other bronze artifacts no. that they had to melt down for type to make books. Yeah. And the Japanese tried this as well. But here's the thing. The main reason printing with movable type didn't take off in Asian countries was that their languages used characters to represent symbols and sometimes whole words, not alphabetic characters that represent individual sounds like our language that we got from the Greeks and the Romans does. So... It was, a, it was a much... They didn't need to just come up with 26 different letters and then they could make everything out of yeah. that. They had to come up with thousands yeah. and thousands and thousands of characters and then keep track of those oh and keep God. order. And it was it was yeah. massively Herculean, bigger right. venture right. Yeah, for the Asians. Big enough for the Europeans. It was 10,000 times bigger. One linguistics professor has uh, calculated that in... English, there are more than 15,000 different syllables. Right. So if you were trying to come up with a printing process based on syllables in English, Uh, you would need to come up with 15,000 different pieces of type instead of 26. Yeah. Well, more than 26 because he needed to come up with a colon and It's about 300. And a hyphen. Right. And... uh, Really? Re- 300? Well, wow. You got 26 letters, uppercase, lowercase. You got zero through nine. You got punctuation uh, marks. So uh-huh. roughly between 270 uh-huh. and 300. But that's it. You're done. You're done. Not Asia. Not 15,000. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the Chinese were way ahead of the game yeah. with this, uh, as with the Koreans and the Japanese, but uh, just the nature of their language yeah. uh, tradition uh, got in the way, exactly. made it impossible for them. Yeah. Now, you know, and I think, so then you have to take that and then think about what happened to their cultures from the late Middle Ages onwards. Mm-hmm. You know, the European cultures progressed rapidly out of the Renaissance in large part because of the printing press. Absolutely. The ability for the masses to get educated and access knowledge and information. It could spread more widely because books could spread. The Asian peoples couldn't do that, even though they had they yeah. had all of this, you know, great thinking, great science, because it was just too hard to handwrite enough books for their populations to read. Right. So one of the cruxes of history comes down to the structure of the language. By accident. Right. Europeans had a language that was composed of 26 letters Mm -hmm. and that made all of the difference (laughs) when it came to the spread of knowledge in the late Middle Ages. And again, if I could just... Accident. Exactly. Absolute accident. And again, if I could just harp on this, Gutenberg, born into a wealthy family, he's around engravers, he becomes an engraver, he gets an education, his parents die, they leave him some money. He see he, at some point in his life, even though we don't know exactly when, he gets this idea. And because he's not married, and because he doesn't have to work for a living, he can devote all his time, his resources, his his um, his 
technical skill, which is impressive, into this. And even even with all that, it's going to take him years. If For most people, if they can't come up with something right away, they're going to have to drop it and go get a job or find something else. No, no this guy, as far as we know, spends years on this, but he can afford to. And it's, it's just one of those freak things of nature. And to add on to that, he's only got 26 letters to work with. So... Yeah, it works out for Europe. I was, t- I, was t- I was talking to Chrissy about this over dinner. I said, I can't believe it took him 10 years. She said, bitch, it's taking you seven years to write a fucking book, <laughs> just to write a book. I was like, oh, when you, she must be- when you put it like that. <laughs> she sounds like yeah. she's fun to talk to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so much respect I get in my house. And I go, hey, but his dad was rich. He, he, he was yeah, getting a stipend. Too. If I got a stipend, yeah. if I didn't have to work for oh, a living, fuck. oh, my God, I could have finished it six months ago. <laughs> um, Congratulations on the now, book, because I, I have seen the latest pictures and I think it's going to be awesome. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, fuck. It's a nightmare at the moment, oh. man. So I did this live video yesterday. I don't know if you saw any of it. but Not uh, yet. Uh, so my publisher gave me some really good notes on it and she said, look um, – yeah, I think this 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 chapter could be merged with that chapter, and this section could be moved here. Wow. And she said, "Look, the content's great, but it needs a bit of work in in terms of structuring it." And I thought about it. And I said to her, "Look, you're right." And and I think one of the things that's happened is, you know, as I've been writing the mm-hmm. book, like the idea of what like when I started writing it seven years, Tony, it was Tony Connison's fault. Sounds um, right. I was out of I was out of work. Tony called me up. And he said, "Why don't you write a book?" And I said, okay, what about it? He said, I know all the political stuff that you've political stuff you've talked about on G'day World over the years. And I said, yeah, sure, why not? And he said, no, I'll, I'll pay you to do it. Well, I'll, I'll pay you to money to write some Right. I said, oh, okay, even better. I said, look, give me three, give me three months and it'll be done. Um, so what happened is I did. I wrote a couple of hundred pages pretty quickly. Right. But it was just me. You know, the process was, okay, I'm just going to write down everything Free I can form. think of, all the stories yeah. I've read and the stories I've told and things that I've thought about. Yeah, just boom, yeah. boom, boom. So that's fine. But it was unreadable because it made no right. sense. There was no coherent yeah. idea or cohesive narrative or anything. So then I started to rework it to try and turn it into a cohesive story and a narrative. And then over time I figured out as, well, what this is really about is how organizations become toxic mm-hmm. and they have so much power in society and they become toxic that they influence our political system and they can fuck shit up. And, and then as I kept trying to write about that, I realized, I kept thinking, well, why do these, why do organizations become toxic? They sh- there's no really good reason why they should. Right. And then I, then I started to realize it's because psychopaths are in control of them and it's because organizations value and reward the inherent tendencies of psychopaths. So then it started to become about psychopaths. But I'd written so much content by the time I worked it out that I started to try and jerry fit uh, the book. I can see that. Jerry rig it around this idea. And I haven't, and I've, I've reworked it a couple of times, but not entirely successful. So now I'm telling everyone the book's about psychopaths. But when you actually read the book, it, it, large chunks of it are actually about toxic organisations, not so much psychopaths. Right. I mean, although, you know, yes, so they're toxic because of the psychopaths. But uh, So anyway, so I decided a couple of days ago that I'm, I'm going to restructure the entire book, yeah. uh, right. reduce it from 11 chapters down to four or five, 
combine them together, move bits around. And I was trying to do it in Microsoft Word, and it's incredibly difficult uh, to do something like this, which is difficult enough as it is, in Word when you're struggling with Word as a tool. Right. Um, so I ended up going to Officeworks, which is like a Kinko's, the other night, and printed the whole thing out, got it bound. Ah, so it's this picture. massive, right, you know, inch yeah. thick, A4, 300 pages. And yeah. and it's been brilliant. Yeah. P- pen, paper, post-it Go notes, the three Ps, the holy three right. P, the holy Ps. <laughs> and I can scribble on the margins and write arrows and no, do this here, move that to page 12, move this here, post-it note my way through it, come up with ideas. Oh, I should write a new section about this, stick it in there with a post-it right. note. Just liberating. And, and, and I was talking to somebody about it yesterday and saying, I think one of the reasons it's so liberating and easy is because my brain now doesn't have to deal with using Microsoft Word right. while Just I'm doing content. this. Or, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I can focus on the content. I can stick my fingers into three different sections and flip backwards and forwards. I don't have to control F and search and, right. or look for a bookmark and then look. remember the shortcut for a bookmark and... You know, it's just a fucking post-it right. note. I pull the post-it note or I put my finger in there or a piece of string. And I'm like, where am I? Oh, okay, <laughs> scribble, scribble, scribble with a pencil. Just, it's liberating, man. Right. I wish I'd thought about this years ago as the way to process the book. It's just, I'm going to try and remember to do it, uh, you know, in future. Yeah. It's so, it's, you know, I remember years ago in, in our process writing these shows when I came up with my process mm-hmm. for doing that, like the first year or two we were working, I didn't have a process. Right. Um, and then I came up with a process mm. for producing these shows and it just made it so much more effect. My, spent, spent my time so much more effectively. Right. That's how I can churn out, you know, five to 8,000 words of notes every week is because I've got a process that works. Right. You've got to have a process. Uh, and sometimes it takes a long time to work out that process. But when you do, it's like, oh, fuck, this is gold. Why didn't somebody sit me down and tell me uh, right. tell me to do this years ago, right? But, you, but like Gutenberg, you got to figure it out. I'm sure by the time he was done, he's like, oh, man, I could have saved myself years if I, you know, whatever. It's just yeah. the process of you're, you're literally discovering along the way. And there's no there's no Chinese to help you, 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 you know, or him. You're on your own. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, but that's like, and, and the, I'm sorry that I'm going off on a tangent, people, but hopefully, you know, there's some benefit in, in this for you because I th- this is what I've learned in the film, mm-hmm. making the film, making the book, making the podcast. In every creative endeavor, like, there are two kinds of people, I think. Um, there are the kinds of people who won't start anything until they know how they're going right. to do it. Chrissy's one of these people. She's, she's, a, she's a perfectionist. Mm, okay. She won't start anything until, you know, she has a clear picture out. in her head right. of it's all thought yeah. out. Yeah. And, of course, it's never all thought out, so they, she never does anything. Uh, like new projects. Has a million new projects. So she has done some things. I'm not, I don't right. Know. She has done a couple yeah. of things. But, I see your point. Um, a lot of projects, she's she, reluctant to start them until she knows how to do them. That's, that's a personality type. My personality type, and there's a lot of problems with this, but is like, eh, fuck it, how hard can it be? Let's just get started. We'll work it out as we go, right? <laughs> right. 
when I started, the, I said, I'm going to make a movie. Yeah, my kids said to me, what do you know about making a movie? I'm like, can't be that hard. Like, you know. <laughs> write shit down, talk, point a camera. Done. Yeah, done. Yeah. Boom, next. Six months. <laughs> Give me six months. Here we are three years later and literally three, uh, four days ago, three or four days ago, I finished, I think, the last work I have to do on the film, which oh. was writing the credits. Right. Um, and you're, you're in there, buddy. Oh, you're in the credits. Thank you. Um, uh, but, you know, three years of... Yeah, of learning. Learning. And, like, if I'd known then right. what I know now, oh, I would do it completely differently. Yeah. Well, not a piece of right. cake, but I would do it differently. Right. But that means my, the next time I do it, I'll, I'll, I'll have a better idea how to do right. it. Um, the next time I write a book this size, I'll, uh, which I'm already doing, I'm, I'm already halfway through my next book. Nice, um, which is on history, by the way. It's it's all it's all my favourite stories from all of our podcasts as a book. Nice, um, but I know a lot more about what I'm doing. Right. Now. Um, same with podcasts. Like the, the first couple of years we were doing this, or the first year hassle. Then I go, oh, okay. I, now I know how to do it. Now you, we can churn these things out like fucking hotcakes. <laughs> we can churn these things out faster than people can listen That's to them, true. which boggles That's my true. mind. Because I'm a fucking podcast machine now. Waka, 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 waka. <laughs> like, it's like... Yeah. Pump it yeah. out. Anyway, so... Master. My, the, the reason I'm talking... Kids, the thing is, like, kids out there yeah. listening, just... My, my, my take is learn as you go. Right. Learn as you do. Go out there and figure it out. Yes, you're going to fucking make mistakes along the way and you're going to hit brick walls and it's always going to take longer than you think and it's always going to pay you less than you think and nothing's going to go to plan ever. But right. that's the fun. That's the fun. Like Gutenberg. He's like, fuck, I don't know how to make a printing <laughs> press, but I'm going to work it out. Right. Just going for it. And, and he did, getting it back to Gutenberg. Right. And we don't know what his process was because he kept it all a secret. Right. But based on the copies that have survived of the first things that he printed and later evidence of how printing presses worked, because after he worked out how to do it, it didn't change for 300 years. Damn. Damn. He, he did such a good job, people said, done. Yeah. Done, son. Final. One and done, yeah. son. <laughs> That's it. We don't need to change this ever. Right. And I think, but yeah, uh, scholars have had to work backwards a bit, like figuring out how Brunelleschi built the exactly. dome to try and figure exactly. out what the steps would have been. And so we can quickly start talking about that. But I realize we're running out of time. Right. Yeah. If if I could, I, I just want to, as far as my ending, I just wanted to give this because you were talking about the handicap China had about having to create so many, you know, pieces of movable type or whatever because of the syllables versus letters. And I was just thinking about that because if you think about after Gutenberg comes along with his invention, and I'll keep this really short and sweet, but just to sum up for me, the ideas of the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Age of Enlightenment, it's all so much easier and quicker and cheaper to spread around. The masses can be exposed to so much more information. Ideas can cross borders that priests and kings can't keep back because they're in books, you know, that kind of stuff. Obviously, literacy rates are going to rise, uh, going to increase. It's going to lead to the rise of the middle class, which is going to lead to a rise of cultural self-awareness, which is going to lead to the rise, in, in a sense, of nationalism. As far as um, Latin being the lingua franca, it's going to get his ass kicked with that, with uh, 
things being printed in the vernacular of whatever country you're in. So all these changes are going to be able to come, and they're going to come in some ways, you know, relatively quickly because of this print and press. And here's Asia, which is an obviously a very intelligent, very industrious, much older society than ours. But because of one of the aspects of their culture, their alpha, not alphabet, their language, they get they get hung up by that, and so all those ideas don't spread like they spread in Europe. And and that's obviously one of the things that, you know, not hampers their society, but it certainly did affect it over the years. So Gutenberg is going to come along. He's probably just thinking about cash, but he is going to change the world. Indeed. And with that, we'll be back next time with more Gutenberg, which now is looking more like a six-part series. (laughs) You're welcome. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I just accept it. I'm not outraged. <laughs> Fame comes in many forms, my friends. <laughs> Double standard, baby. <laughs> Back in my 20s. Whoa, whoa, we can't. Whoa, are you fucking crazy? Are they Iranian? Damn. I've learned white lesson. Impressive. Brupum, I'm here all week. Try the veal.